I think the most exciting thing happening now is that there's a real movement towards meaningful decarbonisation happening across the whole spectrum of you know commerce, and that there's you know there's so many ways for people to actually have, drive meaningful careers and participate in that activity. Hi, I'm Kaya Taylor, and this is Rewired, a show exploring the future of energy in Australia from Arena, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. This season, we're highlighting the people that are transforming our energy grid. And today, we're speaking with Chris Halliwell, the CEO of Renewable Energy Hub. They've built a platform to make it easier for energy retailers and large businesses to access data and trade contracts on the renewable energy market. So our products and services are really focused on anyone looking to access more data and insights on both the physical and financial carbon and clean energy markets. And so that may be developers modelling, that may be investors evaluating, it may be governments and regulators that are analysing and developing policy, there's data available. Beyond that, then there's three, what we consider three main buckets of, of users, you know, different categories of users. Uh, they may be at various levels of sophistication looking to participate in the carbon or clean energy market and it's you know wholesale market proponents all the energy companies and the oil and gas majors and the key wholesale market proponents uh, in the energy market it's supply side participants so the renewable developers the um, you know portfolio developers that own and develop and commercialize uh, the clean energy generation assets and of course it's end users end users that are looking for a way to access your know, solutions to their decarbonization imperatives. Renewable Energy Hub is a fairly complex business to understand. But an easier way to think of it is if you think of energy as a stock market. And Renewable Energy Hub is like the Robinhood app. They provide an app that allows you to trade in a similar way to how a bank might have a share trading app to allow you to access stocks. And one of the stocks customers are buying is energy contracts. Chris says a lot of the existing energy contracts were designed decades ago for coal and gas and need to be updated to work with renewables which have different requirements. One reason their customers use the platform is called hedging, which allows companies to manage the risk associated with volatile energy prices. You know, hedging financial contracts are essentially products that people use to manage the risk associated with their position in the market. Of course, you know, we have a current market where the collection of wholesale contracts that were developed to manage the risk associated with the market were developed 25 years ago, and they would fit for purpose for the types of generators, the baseload thermal coal-fired power stations that we had 25 years ago, and they're really well designed for those requirements. Vast transition takes place. We have a very strong emergence of new technologies participating in the market. And that brings with it a whole bunch of new challenges as to how people manage the risk of their asset uh, transacting revenue within the current market. And so our products are very much about creating the types of products people need to manage those risks. And of course, an environment in which they can access those transactions a key barrier that we, you know, through our consultation process, we ran as part of the Arena Grant is that businesses don't can't really participate in the current market because the products are not designed for them. And so, you know, what we talk a lot about, uh, how the current market challenges are around, you know, deploying capital in assets and funding renewable energy projects and, you know, policy-driven mechanisms such as the renewable energy target or, or the emissions reduction scheme. But 
we make the case that maybe the real barrier is in fact there's inefficiencies and a lack of transparency for people to access and participate in this market, uh, that they need to be able to optimise and efficiently get their projects off the ground, in which case the real asset is being able to do that with transparency and create an asset around the way the market actually functions. So how have the historical ways of trading energy impacted the transition towards renewables? So electricity markets are amongst the most volatile and unpredictable commodity markets in the world. You've got a product that can't be stockpiled on a wholesale basis. It's subject to live supply and demand metrics, to weather, to human behaviour on a literally five-minute basis. And so being able to prudently manage the revenue associated with your project in that kind of market is very difficult. Uh, The wholesale financial contract market was designed as a way to manage you know, your asset and how they physically performed 25 years ago is vastly different to how they perform now. You know, a base load generator, much more predictable performance, and it's, you know, there's contracts there that are designed to help them manage uh, their risk on OTC exchanges or, or, and or on exchanges. But this approach was designed for the market the way it was a long time ago and is potentially now not you know, really geared to participation from the new wave of supply-side renewable energy generators. Uh, from the new wave of market proponents that demand low-carbon products and, and, and are looking to actualise their net-zero strategy solutions. And so how much have the incumbents benefited from the way that the market has worked in the past? So that's uh, – look, I think – I certainly hope that incumbents have benefited from the way the market has worked in, in the context of Australian electricity because it was designed for them. And I guess that they have had a certain market power as the way that that market – uh, has functioned in recent times, um, which you know has you know been beneficial to them. But ultimately, the transition will become their problem as much as it will become a challenge for new market participants looking to get involved. These products and these solutions, and you know, creating this sort of point of access for new market participants is not just for the benefit of new market participants. It's designed to create efficiency for the market and to help the existing incumbents manage those same problems around you know, how to hedge variable energy and how to manage exposure to a different um, daily conditions you know, that will essentially assist them and will create a more efficient market and a more efficient price, which is, is better for everybody. People talk a lot about variability and supply with renewables, but what about variability and price? How does Chris feel those things are connected? Of course, yeah, variability is a big challenge. You know, obviously managing the price exposure in a, in a market where we've got huge volumes of uh, variable energy colliding into the market in a largely uh, you know, uncoordinated fashion creates a new set of complexity for managing uh, that price and performance risk. Literally, as the sun shines and the wind blows, prices respond. And so having the types of contracting options to efficiently manage that exposure is key. But the first step is being able to evaluate them to see the data in real time and to be able to identify opportunities within the context of the changing market. So Chris, our listeners might be wondering, how do you even go about pricing energy contracts? And then looking more broadly, how does the influx of distributed resources like rooftop solar impact these prices? So I think that the interesting challenge, yeah, of course, is that there's impacts to this energy transition for both the incumbents and there's opportunities. And so it's not just about creating new solutions for new participants. These new solutions are very much key for the current participants to manage the way the market's impacting the way that they've traditionally performed. 
In the case of daytime solar, of course, we've had this vast proliferation of rooftop solar, you know, some 200 megawatts a month on average for years now. It's a, such a significant supply side increase in the daytime that it's completely changed the distribution in half hourly intraday value of energy. And of course, that comes with it all manner of impacts on how uh, how energy generators capture the value of their generation, the value of their asset. And so, this a lot of our work and our products is around creating contracts that allow people to manage that price discrepancy, the price distortion within the daytime um, across you know the high price and the low price periods of any given day period. Grid scale batteries have been praised for their ability to respond quickly to issues on the grid. So how do batteries play into this pricing mix? Up until this stage, you know, the bulk of the main batteries have been commercialised through direct subsidy and direct you know, capital injections, uh, support systems in that regard. But for this to really proliferate and get off the ground, we're going to need to create an environment where projects can be commercialised and investors can participate in a way that doesn't depend purely on government regulation or, or market support. And so a really big part of that is giving batteries and other renewable projects a way in which they can access the market. And so we've developed some contracts that are purely designed for the way a battery may physically perform. It buys at low prices and it sells at high prices. These types of contracts, of course, didn't exist traditionally in the market. In fact, there's real barriers for a battery to participate in the contract market because the contracts that are currently available are a bit prohibitive to them. And so they're left to be exposed to the spot market. But of course, if you're an investor looking to deploy capital into an infrastructure project, you can't run a whole model against a spot price exposed investment model. What you really want to see is the revenue horizon so you can really you know, get that capital into the project and drive uptake of these assets across the country. And so that's very much what the uh, this contract marketplace is, is designed to do, to give people those insights, to evaluate those opportunities, and then lock in those revenue streams so they can participate in the market. While Renewable Energy Hub is fairly young, Chris has been working in the industry for over a decade. But it was actually his work in international development that led him to the energy sector. So my background was originally in international development, where we were working on driving the uptake of microfinance projects in in, um, in developing countries. And at that time, you know, my role was very much one around fundraising and accessing capital to help fund these largely donor-funded project initiatives. At this stage, that was the only way to really get these projects off the ground. And um, you know, it was an exciting chapter and a lot of fun, but I you know, to sort of really remember feeling this is going to be a long road to drive meaningful change uh, with this level of impact. And so really, you know, sort out, well, how do we kind of bring these projects into the current economic system? How do we find a way for what is currently an externality, dumping 600 million tonnes of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere every year? How do we put a price on that and how do we start to um, use that as a revenue stream for bringing projects to life? And around this time, carbon finance was finding its feet. And so we really got focused into that space, developing some of the early methodologies in developing voluntary carbon products in energy efficiency and in renewable energy. And I guess that um, that led us into carbon finance and into into the, the low carbon and, and clean energy markets. And that's been the beginning of the beginning of the journey. Renewable Energy Hub operates throughout the Asia Pacific region. With much bigger populations than Australia, many of our neighboring nations have different energy demands. 
So how does this influence the types of energy contracts purchased through their platform? You know, there's different motivations happening at the moment. There's, you know, there's, of course, people looking just to manage risk in the energy and carbon market. And so every local jurisdiction has its unique design as to how the market's structured. Obviously, the Australian energy market is vastly different to the Japanese energy market or the New Zealand energy market. And so they all have, you know, their own kind of unique requirements and types of products that are best suited. Uh, in the case of carbon markets, there's you know, different audiences of those that are looking to participate, be it a large uh, you know, oil and gas majors that are looking for solutions to, to underpin some carbon reduction to their products, or is it consumer-driven organisations that are looking to be consumer-led and sort of speak to their stakeholders by purchasing clean energy products or low-carbon products. And so different audiences in different areas have different pain points. And so we're really trying to create an environment where they can all participate in the same wholesale market space. We often talk about the export opportunities for Australia in renewable energy. So what opportunities does Chris see for our renewable energy products to be sold into the rest of APAC? I think that happens on a number of levels. There's, there's certainly energy commodities that we can capture and export, and we've traditionally been very good at that with our, um, our thermal products and our, and our gas products that we deploy into Asia and around, around the world. And I think that will be moving now into you know, servicing demand from Asia for different types of clean energy fuel products, so be it ammonia or hydrogen, blue hydrogen generated in Australia for those sort of offshore markets. And, of course, nature-based solutions, nature-based carbon credits where there's very high demand um, from, you know, particularly that net zero driven sector, the commercial and industrial sector, the multinational companies that are looking to purchase these types of carbon credits. At the moment, there's a real lack of transparency on that market. People can't see the prices. You don't know where the market is. And, you know, different types of projects with different co-benefits, you know, come in at different price points. They, they have different premiums based on, you know, the charismatic qualities or the boutique nature of those individual credits. And so our platform really helps people see those pricings, um, benchmark that pricing, access data on that pricing, and then be able to identify you know, the real market opportunities without having to you know, undertake a, a lot of resources to work it out or deal with high transaction costs or make it a really inefficient transaction. In the past decade, we've seen an explosion of startups entering the energy sector, solving all different kinds of problems. So how much of the transformation is driven by startups as opposed to incumbents trying to change the way that they operate? Well, I guess that's the, you know, the wag the dog dynamic that we're dealing with here is that there's, you know, startups are the ones that are kind of setting the initiative and throwing down the gauntlets and trying to kind of really disrupt and, and you know, change the way that the current market operates. But of course, the establishment and the large organisations that may be a bit more, you know, slow to turn the Titanic are the ones that can really drive meaningful change. And so I think at the moment, what's happened is we've seen a real departure from only doing things because there's a government regulation that coerces that activity to consumers and businesses voting with their feet and discretionarily saying, we want to see this type of activity, we demand this type of energy, we want to see this type of decarbonisation underpinning our products. And of course, as a function of that, startups proliferate, um, you know, stakeholders vote with their feet, investors you know, put their money where their mouth is, and the big companies are, are looking to change. And so at the moment, the transition is actually now led by businesses and individuals and multinational corporations that are listening to their stakeholders. And that, to me, is the most exciting part of the current shift taking place. 
particularly in the Australian context, you know, we've stopped waiting to do just what the government tells us we have to do at a minimum and kind of taken leadership into our own hands. And that's being led, I think, across the board from people in the streets to the to the um, ASX boardrooms. I don't think there's an ASX board meeting now that overlooks the conversation of carbon pricing or the cost of decarbonisation or the cost of inaction or not aligning to some sort of Paris uh, target or net zero target. It is front and centre in the hearts and minds of all these organisations. And that's not happening because the government told them to. It's happening because they've realised the government's not going to tell them to and they have to take responsibility for themselves. So what excites you most about the opportunities in this space and what you're working on right now? I think the most exciting thing happening now is that there's a real movement towards meaningful decarbonisation happening across the whole spectrum of, you know, commerce and that there's, you know, there's so many ways for people to actually have, drive meaningful careers and participate in that activity. Uh, that it's just, there's just so much, um, you know, new businesses, startups, institutional change, organisational overhaul and, and investment going into the sector, clean energy sector and low carbon sector, that it's going to make drive some really meaningful transition. And of course, it needs to. By staggering metrics, we need to see this transition play out um, in the context of, you know, keeping to a two degrees target uh, around the Paris climate goals. And I think if everyone just sort of stays attuned to that focus, then we're going to see, you know, a massive transformation in the coming years. Thanks to Chris Halliwell from Renewable Energy Hub for joining us for this episode. If you want to find out more about some of the projects they're working on, we've got an article on the Arena website. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. Rewired is brought to you by Arena, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency working to support Australia's energy transition. This episode was hosted by me, Kaya Taylor, with production and scripting from the team at Lawson Media. If you've enjoyed the conversation and want to learn more about the Transformers working to change our energy grid or the projects that Arena is funding, you can find out more on our website, arena.gov.au. I'll speak to you again soon. <laughs>